to Split Decision. This week on episode 13, we're going to be recapping UFC 293. I'll say that was a shocking event. From there, we're going to take a look ahead to Noche UFC to see Alexa Grasso defend her title against Valentina Shevchenko. Then, in honor of Mexican Independence Day, we're going to give you our top five Mexican things. And from there, we'll finish up with a little question, answers, and some news. But first, be sure to head to splitdecision.blog where you'll find all our recent episodes, merch, picks, and more. All right, let's go. So let's take a look at UFC 293 from this past weekend in Australia. Maybe not the biggest upset in UFC history in terms of result, but the biggest upset, I think, in terms of how the fight went, where a giant underdog, I saw as crazy as he was plus 650, plus 700, Sean Strickland. It was crazy. Not only beat Israel Adesanya, he came in and he dominated him for five rounds. It was honestly one of the most surprising uh, fights I've ever witnessed. And it's one of the reasons you got to love MMA because no matter what everything says on paper, sometimes it's as simple as two guys fighting and whoever has it on that night. And Sean Strickland had it on. Izzy did not. And we saw damn near a master class, honestly. Yeah, I have to agree. We we talked about this heavily. I... Before actually locking in our picks, I told you that, you know, I was toying with it. I didn't know what to do. I do give you credit. You did say it. But I also said that I was going to stop doubting myself and I was going to continue to, you know, like kind of go with what I felt. And then I went against it anyway. Um, So, you know, that's all, all against me. Sean Strickland, like you said, had a completely dominant showing. He walked Izzy down for five straight rounds. I honestly think the fight was more or less over after he knocked Izzy down. That first round knockdown, right at the end of the round. I think he got 26, 27 consecutive punches to the head damn near in a row. Right, even if they weren't wildly connecting, of course, you know, that's... A couple of them did, that's why he dropped. Correct, exactly. Not everything has to connect for for all of that damage to I mean, Izzy's up. lucky he didn't go out with the with that right hand he hit him with. You're absolutely right. No, it was definitely a great showing by Sean Strickland. Obviously, well-deserved the belt. He won judges' scorecards uh, 49-46 by all the judges, which, you know, that's... I agree with four rounds to one. Right. Very dominant showing. Um, He had a very strong front kick that kept Adesanya at bay. He had, like we said, the knockdown, significant damage. He kept walking Adesanya down, and what Adesanya's best at is counter-striking. But when you're running that that hard... He was going... He was backpedaling the entire time, and Sean Strickland wasn't overly aggressive. Where he, it was almost like he didn't have anything to counterstrike. Right, he but wasn't. But he was giving him pressure. Right, the feints. So in the first round, the feints really kind of had Sean on edge, but then he settled in. And to your point, well, he the, said in his press conference a couple of times as he hit him, and he was like, "I could tell then he didn't have it." Like in the first round, where he's like, it. he didn't have, I, I, he didn't have his full power is what he was kind of alluding to. But he could tell, like, that wasn't the night for him. And from there, I mean, Sean Strickland, it was just, as I said, one of the most surprising, honestly, performances we've ever seen. Yeah, it was impressive. So a couple questions for you just real quick. 
do you think I know Dana Dana said he wanted a rematch uh, immediately I don't do want the immediate rematch I don't think in a fight despite how great of a champion Izzy has been worth a dominant uh, performance I don't think you deserve a immediate title shot after you get dominated so do you give it to Drakus do you give it to Kismot who, who do you give it to I would like to see Drakus Duplessy get the uh, title shot but I also would not be upset if the winner of Paulo Costa, Hamzat Shamayev coming up in a couple weeks if that, that winner gets a title shot. So I think those are the two options are, again, if you do the rematch, Izzy. So I think three options, solid options for his first title defense. Cool. I dig it. So in a heavyweight matchup, we saw Ty Bam Bam Tuivasa take on Alexander Drago Volkov. Uh, this... Honestly, I felt as though we were going to get a knockout. This was a very Drago performance from Volkov. It, it was kind of crazy. Um, obviously, Ty Tuivasa being the smaller guy coming in. Draco Volkov, not Drakov. Volkov is a six foot seven monster yeah. of a guy. That giant dude. Tuivasa is six two. He's not a small guy by any standard, but in comparison, that's nuts. Um, plus six reach advantage there. Honestly, two of us's best game plan was what kind of he leaned on was getting those leg kicks, that leg damage early. He got it off in the first round. Volkov did drop him uh, in the first and then finished it up in the second with a rare Ezekiel choke after uh, landing a, a few clean, perfect shots against two of us. Honestly, it's hard to fight against that kind of reach in a heavyweight fight. You know, with Volkov beating two of us, they were like, what, five and six ranked? heavyweight something like that yeah both top 10 i mean you just gotta assume volkov's making his i guess what i, what I would say is his final run for a belt yeah for sure he just came in and as you said tui vasa's game plan clear leg kicks and he was landing them and they were working but volkov just in the end kind of ate it ate him he relied on being a precision sniper from the outside he got him with the you said he dropped him in the first yeah he dropped then dropped him, the him again in the second and that's what led to his ground control and eventually, to, as you said, the rare Ezekiel choke. I'd like to point out a, a you know, a weird, or not a weird comparison, but a comparison, you know, looking at that, it's kind of looking at like DC versus John Jones with the size difference. It's like while DC is, you know, a powerful striker, he was, you know, a great wrestler. Keeping him at bay was, was John Jones's, you know, best attribute in all of those yeah, fights. Reach goes a long way. And this was, a, as I said, alluded to earlier, a very Drago performance, just in the way he kind of, he ate damage. Right. He just said he's all right getting hit. Now. And then had the kill shot. I guess kill choke. Yeah, kill. The Ezekiel choke, if you will. No, not if you will. That's exactly what it's called. Uh, so what do you think's next for Volkov? I think Volkov, what is, he should be a, a top five opponent next. I think he's, I don't think he's a title shot guy right now. Marcin Tibera, maybe? Tibera would be a good one. Whoever doesn't fight in the, like, uh, Pavlovov, right. uh, Gon, uh, Aspinall triangle, whoever right. doesn't get the fight in that triangle, maybe. Or whoever loses. Or whoever loses one of those guys. Uh, Volkov, as you said, I think he's getting up in age a little bit. I think this is his, uh, his last kind of push for a legitimate title shot. And it's interesting to see... You know, the uh, a very crowded heavyweight rankings at this point. Yeah, you don't always see it. It's nice to see, though, especially in the UFC. Usually there's a couple guys that are just way dominant. Right. Yeah, like, the, you've always had the John Jones. You've always had the, you know, the Cyril Gaon making a big name. The Derek Lewis, you know, having those big knockouts. 
yeah, but, but it's been few and far between for you know like crazy you know contention. Yeah, now usually, I think we have the time. You usually don't have them all at the same time. Usually there's a couple every now and then. Now it seems like we have four, five, six legitimate like title shot guys in the heavyweight division currently, which is nice to see. Heavyweight division is always going to be the one that I think interests the most people, just because. These guys are just throwing bombs. Right, and that was actually what I was about to say, is a lot of those fights are going to be, you know, inside the first round, inside of two rounds. You don't have to look at championship rounds when you're fighting with 265-pound guys. All right, so the next fight we're covering is Manil Cop, Felipe Dos Santos. It was a, I don't want to say dominant, but an obvious Manil Cop win in this fight. He definitely won the fight. He performed well. wasn't a bad showing, but somehow, and I can't explain why, he was overshadowed by Felipe Dos Santos only because of Dos Santos' resolve and resilience and refusal to quit. Because he had some, he was getting beat up a little bit out there, but the way he was able to stand in, deliver his own shots, and he was there the entire time, it was an impressive performance by him, the UFC debutant, and he proved he belongs in the UFC. I think, despite the loss, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, Dos Santos got dropped in the first round, but he didn't give up, as you said. Uh, he faced a lot of adversity and a you know top 15 opponent in Manel Cop. He has traditionally just been a you know pretty good fighter in the UFC's 18 and six, I believe, is his overall record. Um, listen, Cop put on a it's four wins in a row from from Cop too. Cop put on a. Perf- impressive performance yeah, striking again. performance great he got efficient takedowns all of that led to the unanimous decision but you were absolutely right like i said dos santos he fought through the adversity he showed resilience determination i'm excited to see you know the career starting for felipe dos santos but also congratulations to manel cop your unanimous decision victory i think he gets a top five opponent next. I think he's one, maybe two wins away. If he gets two big wins in a row, he could be knocking at the door for a title shot. Man, and he is a shit talker, huh? He's a shit talker. He dropped uh, what was the second F-bomb, new age F-bomb of interviews, which right. was crazy. You don't hear that very often. Right, and, and just just so you're aware, that word is um, a synonym. Not a synonym, sorry. It is... Uh, it's rhyming with the French word for bread, a baguette. Yeah, I don't think we need any more context than that, Alex. Thank you, though. But Manil Copy talks shit. He can probably drive some pay-per-views. So he's a guy that could, you know, you could see him getting a title shot soon. Justin Taffa rematched Austin Lane uh, from a no contest, my only betting no contest, our only betting no contest since we've started. Um, that was from, actually the first event we ever did to UFC Jacksonville in July. It was crazy. Well, like UFC Jacksonville, wow, so long ago. And now they're rematching. So they they already Austin Lane already lost. Um, this fight opened up with a another accidental eye poke from Austin Lane. Yeah, at that point, that's ridiculous. It was. Crazy. I know it was accidental this time. Oh, it was accidental both times, but. That's got to be your number one thing going into the fight. Like, I can't poke this guy in the eye again. And right away, it happened. Right. And it kind of pissed Taffa off. I think so. They, the whole fight, uh, the two fighters threw a combined 29 strikes. Um, 
And I think Top after, of the ones that counted. He did. Besides the eye poke, I guess that counts as a strike. Yeah, even it was accidental, but yeah, it does count as a strike. Uh, so Tafa, honestly, I think after recovering from the eye poke, he decided enough was enough. He saw his opportunity to strike. He didn't want to be blind for the rest of his life. Right. He wanted to fight like again, ever. Yeah. He's like, all right, that's enough. That's enough. He decided he's not going to like let Austin Lane make the mistakes anymore. And he finished with a clean hand, dropping Austin Lane to the canvas, following it up with some devastating ground and pound, forcing the referee to interfere, awarding the TKO for the Taffa gang. Yeah, Justin Taffa does what every Taffa does. Did. Does, did. Does, did, do. Right. Whatever they do, that's what he did. There you go. There we go. Whatever he they came in, do, he got a vicious knockout. Uh, press performance in front of the home crowd. It was great to see, exciting to see. Probably the best, even though I'd probably say it's the best knockout of the, or like TKO of the night. It was definitely the most interesting. Exactly. All right, so the next fight we're taking a look at was Tyson Pedro versus Anton. You're going to have to help me with this last name. How do you say it? Turkaj. Turkaj. I can say that. Turkaj, Pedro, this was a classic case of a guy with a lot of UFC experience. Although it's not the most successful, he's 5-4. and four. This was his 10th fight in Tyson Pedro. He was taking on a guy, yes, making his third fight, but he's 0-2 in the UFC, so he hasn't really proved if he... Kind of has what it takes to stick around. Has what it takes to stick around, exactly. And Pedro, he proved experience is key in a lot of these fights. Not every time, but when it's a lot versus a little... The experience uh, was in his favor. He came in. He got the first round knockout. He proved that there's that Turkaj was not on his level at all. Right. Yeah. A lot of times, watching from home, uh, fans, at least I, get not, not really agitated, but you know, I'm like, come on, like go for the finish. Whenever you see the the damage doing damage, like yeah, don't just hesitate. But you guys all you also gotta understand the right. I'm not the one fighting. Yeah, and like Pedro, I don't want to go to the ground. Right, Pedro Tyson Pedro, he did not hesitate. No, he, he did what every saw, fan's yelling about. Right, he saw the damage doing damage. He saw the strikes making impact, and he decided after you know the first one kind of the first one two combo kind of dropped. Turkaj, he followed up later in the round with another one-two combo, dropping him and then sealing the deal for his, you know, KO victory. Yeah, it was a beautiful performance. Again, it proved the experience played a factor. Uh, they're not on the same level, but great win by Tyson Pedro. Carlos Carlos Alberg took on Dawoon Jung in a predominantly striking matchup. That honestly, it was. Pretty similar to the last fight with Tyson Pedro versus Anton Turkaj. Um, this one almost went to the judges' scorecard. And throughout, Olberg did, you know, consistent damage. He led with his jab. He yeah, dodged. He was, he was very patient. He dodged. He was almost too patient where you feel like he could, if he would have pressed a little bit more, he could have got the finish earlier. But he was in total control the entire fight, pretty much. Right. He led the narrative. Uh, he dodged Good way to all put the attacks. It, led the narrative. Yeah, dodge all the, like, didn't dodge everything, but dodges the most powerful attacks of Jung, which is obviously the most important point. point. And in the last moments of the last round, he got his opponent's back, locking in the rear naked choke, grabbing the first submission victory of his career, which is, 
you know, some fighters never go for that. Some fighters always strive for it and just kind of never get it's the It's good opposition. to have in your arsenal, though. Just so right. the, the other ability. guy knows now he has that. That's five straight wins for Olberg, four straight finishes. Uh, so he's the guy rising up in the rankings uh, pretty soon. If he gets a couple more wins in a row, he might be a guy cracking the at least top 15, maybe even top 10. He's exciting to watch. A great prospect. Unfortunately, Jung... This is his third straight loss, so we'll see where he goes from here. Uh, he's kind of hit a snag as of late. Yeah, I hope to not be talking about him on the first week of October in split decision because that is the roster watch. All right, so the next fight we're going to talk about, probably the most gruesome fight of the night. Not even probably. It is the most gruesome. It's the most gruesome fight in a few fight cards. This was Jack Jenkins, Jose Mariscal, ended with, I guess you would describe it as a elbow dislocation by jack jenkins he just fucked his elbow up a whole bunch yeah i saw a video of him today on social media uh he was talking about it was an, a full elbow dislocation in the second round it was gross he honestly the way he laid there after it happened and the way they stopped the fight i thought that he broke his us, neck that gave us the worst feeling after because so well, let's break down the fight a little bit. He laid bit there like a dead body. I he thought did. he broke his neck and he was dead. He did, but it, it was terrifying. So Thank God he's all right, by the way. The first round, Jenkins kind of led on the scorecard. It was a contested contested round, kind of had a bunch of jabs, kicks, you know, fighters trying to find their rhythm. And then you go to the second, you know, didn't really get a lot going in the whole fight. You know, like I said, fighters trying to find rhythm. Uh, Machine Gun Mariscal tried to throw Jenkins. Chepe. In that by. throw, yeah, it, it's kind of hard to get a handle on what he wants to be called. Is it Jose, Chepe, Machine Gun? I'm going to call him Mariscal because that's his last name. Um, he tries to throw Jenkins. Jenkins tries to catch himself. And that's when the dislocation happens. And what you said, kind of face plant, full death, uh, Grand Theft Auto wasted moment, if you will. Yeah, it was scary. It did not. It, it's not anything we're happy or excited to to talk about. Those, those are gruesome moments. And this was a fight. It was between two guys, kind of like with promising starts to their UFC career. One guy two and zero in Jenkins, although he's he's kind of gotten some popularity as of late. Mariscal again one and zero, five straight wins. So those two guys with their careers going in the upward trajectory. So you hate to see this happen, where he's going to be out probably for a while, Jack Jenkins. But five straight wins for Mariscal, 2-0 in the UFC. He's climbing the ladder. Oh. He's going to put this on his resume. One good bit of good news. One good bit of one bit of good news. There you go. There we go. There we go. Yeah, see, we both fuck up. Uh, Jenkins got an x-ray. No broken bones. He just has to get an MRI to see if there's any ligament damage. So it could be a shorter uh, recovery time than, you know, we initially thought based on the, the KO. Two lightweights, John McDessie versus the Australian native, Jamie Malarkey. That dude's got a busted face. Yeah, and it got busted a little bit in this fight, too. It did. Um, Jamie Malarkey won a close decision here, 29-28, yeah, unanimous, I, think it, I, I think will it say. it could have gone either way. I think we both had it in Malarkey's favor, 29-28. Which, if you ask me, because I picked malarkey pre-fight i'm gonna say the judges got it wholeheartedly correct exactly i'm all with the judges on this fight a good competitive fight but it looked like malarkey had the slight edge um so yeah i'm not upset with that decision at all right it was like you said contested close back and forth malarkey focused on his jab delivered a lot of leg kicks 
He was feeding off the crowd, it seemed like, too. The crowd was heavily in his favor. Man, a home crowd. I, I, I couldn't imagine Especially playing Especially in a place it. where they don't have events a lot, like Australia, where it's like twice a year. So every time right. they're coming out in full force. And it's a, a, a pay-per-view event on top of it. It's not just a normal fight night. So it adds that extra layer of authenticity and, you know, just kind of like I have to be there. The crowd was amazing in this fight for all the home fighters. Except for Israel Adesanya for some reason. Neither fighter scored a takedown. I don't think that's what they were, uh, you know, wholeheartedly going for. It was a big striking contest, you know, trying to finish the fight. Jamie Malarkey won. He's a good fighter. Uh, Magdessi's a great fighter as well. You know, lightweight, we've always said, is just like probably, in my opinion, the toughest division to make it in the UFC. Yeah, they've so, both been around for a while too. Mag uh, Malarkey, that moves him to five and four in the UFC. So he's the guy that. He keeps winning and losing. Maybe he can go on a little run here, get a couple wins in a row. Malarkey, he's been in the, he's fought even more in the UFC. He moves to 11 and 9. That was his 20th UFC fight. So he's been around. Uh, we'll see where each guy goes from here. But it was an entertaining fight. But the home guy got it done in the end. All right, so the last fight we're going to cover is Nazrat Hakparast taking on Landon Quinones. And this was a case of a guy making his debut versus a guy, as we alluded to earlier, with more experience, how that plays a factor. Right. It seems like the experience played a factor in this. It was a solid win. Unanimous, unanimous decision, 30-27, all three judges for Hack Parast. Uh, he put on a good performance, but Quinones, props to him, great toughness. Dude, this one was crazy. It was, like you said, unanimous decision to Hack Parast. But kind of slept on to the fact that over 700 total strikes were thrown in this fight. Yeah, there was, a, there was two guys throwing some strikes. Quinonez in his UFC debut, kind of similar to Felipe Dos Santos in his UFC debut, in my opinion, overshadowed the Hack Parast win in the sense that, you know, while he did, you know, have a loss— he showed toughness and resilience that is going to be very, very valued, valuable to him in the UFC moving forward. I think invaluable is probably a better word, honestly. Yeah, but that moves Hack Parast 7-4 and four in the UFC, 4-2 and two in his last six. Matt and his last out. six fights have all gone to the scorecard. So that seems to be the way he wins fights. Not a dig. That just seems the way he has found the most success in the UFC. So we're going to switch the order up a little bit this time. Uh, we're going to move top five right here, right in the middle. So this week, we're sticking with the themes, as I say every week. I don't know why I repeat it, but theme this week because it's Mexican Independence Day, hashtag UFC Noche. Uh, it's top five Mexican things. So again, this is a lot like our last few top fives. This is going to be anything Mexican. It can be a, pretty much any noun. I think that's a good way to describe it. Pretty much anything. Anything. Person, place, thing is a noun. So, yes. I like it. So, top five Mexican things. Alex, let's hear your number five. My number five is a mariachi band. Not I think bad, it's a traditional, traditional Mexican dish served on a breakup or an engagement. It's either... 
in a rom com. It's either the happiest time of your life or the saddest. Ironically, the saddest time. Right. Of your life. Yeah. I, I've only ever seen him in like severely positive, severely negative manners. And while probably just more of a trope in American rom coms, I love it as a Mexican thing. But you hate you say that, but I think it's a stereotype that they embrace and. Like Mexican people are proud of the mariachi band and they like it. So props to them. I like it. You know it what too. I mean? Like it's a real thing. And I, it's entertaining and they're always happy. They seem like the happiest people in the world. Yeah. <laughs> always have a smile on their face. It's great. What's so your I number like five? My number five, I'm sticking my number five is gonna be UFC themed. It's gonna be the first Mexican champ, uh Mexican born champ, uh Brandon Moreno. Uh he's a guy, very likable guy. He's kind of a self described nerd. The assassin baby. Uh, the assassin baby. He wins titles. He has lost a few times, but I think that honestly, losing a few times and being able to come back from that honestly makes you more popular and more endearing to the fans. So I think that's a positive trait. And I think it speaks to his Mexican heritage. They're always known as fighters that never back down. They keep going forward. They're always going to come. I think he embodies that. Brandon Moreno, my number five. Uh, I really like Brandon Moreno. If I remember correctly, Pantoja choked him out, and he was kicked out of the UFC. He came back, you know, after years of struggle. That was like a year and a half. Years? Shut up. Won the belt. Defended it for a while, uh, like four he years. He fought Brandon uh, Figueredo four times in a row, which is nuts. Yeah, that, that's a crazy— or like four uh, to five fights. I think he fought Kai Kara France in between there and knocked him out. Right. And then lost the belt to Pantoja at the end. But, like, I agree— Great. But he's not done. Like he's coming back. No, he he will be on another title run. He's young. He's very skilled in mixed martial arts. A fan favorite. And I like him. What do you have for number four? I actually quit uh my list there. I didn't do enough. Oh sweet. So my number four No, I'm kidding. Um I picked Cerveza. Let's say you talking. Wait, what? <laughs> no, go ahead. Oh. Cerveza. My number four is going to be cerveza, Mexican beer, or beer in Spanish. That is something that they do very, very well. And that could be your Corona. That could be your Dos Equis. That could be your Pacifico or your Soul. So I was about to say that. I love them all. There's, there, I honestly haven't run into a Mexican beer that I don't like. Dude, a like. Mexican beer with a lime is lime maybe, the, salt. maybe the best. I know, you know, Germany, they're like the beer place. Right. A Mexican beer with a lime may be one of one, the number one pick in the beer draft. That Actually, is so good and so refreshing. I'll say this. If there's anybody in who can drop a comment to a Mexican beer that's really good, let me know. I'll go pick up a six-pack wherever it is, and I'll try it out. What's your number four? So my number four, it kind of – it almost encompasses what you said. My number four is Mexican cuisine as a whole. They have – the Mexican cuisine is one of the most dynamic, delicious, almost universally universally loved foods. They have tacos, fajitas, burritos, chimichangas, margaritas, cerveza. There's nobody in the world that can go to a Mexican restaurant and not at least find something they, they like. I'm no, convinced of that. I'll wholeheartedly agree. I, I'm a father of an eight-year-old. And he has his picky times. Um, and if we run to one of the 97 Mexican yeah, there's restaurants. There's a reason there's 97 Mexican right. restaurants. 
We run to one of the 97 Mexican restaurants in town. I can always guarantee that you're right. He will find something he can eat. Whether you like mild stuff or super spicy stuff, they have everything. When I was a kid growing up, um, we lived in Texas. We, we ate at a place Tejas. called... Tejas. Tejas, sorry. Mexican, Mexican Independence Day weekend. Um, we lived in Texas. Went to a place called Poncho's. You used to raise a little flag... And the server would come. Oh, I've been there. That was all. That's always a, a, a cool little gimmicky. Experience. Yeah, but we went there when I was a kid. It was pretty cool. Um, As a kid, you loved that kind of experience. I'm sure my parents hated it because we were just probably messing with the flag the whole time. The food time. probably sucked. I'm sure it did. Number three for me, or do you want? Do you want to go first? I'll go first this time. I'll jump right. ahead. My number three is the city of Mexico City. This surprise. Hey, wait. Can you say that again? Mexico City. Oh, not the city. Okay. Got it. Sorry. The city of Mexico City. Okay. I did Commas say that matter. First. Exactly. This, surprisingly, the biggest uh, city in North America. Bigger than New York, bigger than L.A., bigger than Toronto. Really? It's got almost 10 million people actually in the city. Are they all in poverty? No. It has a bunch of very, very this is my point. It has a bunch of very nice and green and beautiful spots. Nice. Uh, a lot of culture, a lot of great cathedrals they have a few good uh football stadiums like hundred thousand seat stadiums mexico city it has a bad rap just the general thought of it but it's a beautiful city great culture worth the visit it's in altitude too which is cool and a lot of people don't don't realize that i think it's almost as high as like denver damn yeah it's very high up there it's on a giant plateau but mexico city my number three what'd you have number three Lucha Libre. Nacho Libre? Lucha Libre would be the masked wrestling in Mexico culture. That's one of the most synonymous things uh, for Mexico. Right. I was looking up things for my list, and I was like, you know, you you can play around. You know, you can joke. You can... You can do whatever with what you want. You're Mexican. You could, you know, you could go Chihuahua, be be an ass, do whatever. I do love Chihuahuas. I decided don't talk shit on Chihuahuas. I decided I was gonna go with you know more or less a cultural pick for my number three. You know the Mexican wrestling lucha libre. Of course, they did have the movie Nacho Libre, which honestly I think it just helped the American culture. Realize where it kind of came from. Exactly. And, you know, have someone like Jack Black kind of play that to us. That's so synonymous with Mexico. Like, if you go to any of their international sporting events, whether it's, like, soccer or, like, their baseball or basketball teams, their fans will wear the uh, Mexican, the green, red, and white uh, uh, mask, wrestling mask. He may—Ray Mysterio was a a WWE wrestler I watched a lot growing up. He may not be Mexican, but he did wear— Embrace the culture. —that that type of mask. Um, So that was was always really cool. You know, I've seen it—seen at least the the style of mask for a long time now. So So that's a good good number three. So I'm going to go ahead and give you my number two. My number two, this guy— I kind of went not necessarily the MMA route right here, but the fighting in general, since we're kind of a— fighting mma centered podcast maybe the greatest maybe second greatest uh mexican mixed martial arts not mixed martial arts but martial artist i guess you would say the best one of the best boxers in the world at one point he was the best boxer canelo alvarez the whole country of mexico loves him he's highly paid he has a bunch of great wins he's lost a couple times but again he 
has that Mexican spirit, always comes back. He embraces the Mexican culture of boxing, which is standing and trading shots. Canelo Alvarez. It's either him or Hugo Cesar Chavez, the greatest Mexican boxers of all time. He's making his case more and more almost every time he fights. Yeah, I have to agree. I, I, while, while I don't know that much about Canelo Alvarez, I know a few Canelo. things. Canelo! I know, one, That's he doesn't look know. like the traditional Mexican. Um, in, the, in the event that he is a red-haired, well, I think, light-skinned boy. I think they Which have, is fine. They, you know, have, do they have a lot of Spanish culture infused in their right. heritage, so he's just one that has a little more Spanish than... And two... He's a bad... He should have been on the list for BMF. Yeah, he's a bad motherfucker. For sure. Uh, Canelo Alvarez is a great pick. He represents um, severe Mexican culture to the extent that, you know, you don't talk about his family, even in a presser. I think he had somebody uh, getting taken hostage. Uh, Caleb? Like his cousin or some shit. What was the fighter? The boxer? Caleb? uh, Plant? plant oh yeah he punched him in the press conference right because he talked about uh then he broke his orbital right so talk about alvarez's family he'll show you what happens that is one thing that runs deep in mexican culture i have to say so what do you have for your number two well shit it sounds a lot worse after hearing your number two but my number two is going to be tacos (laughs) um Mainly, gee, Alex, what made you think of tacos? So, listen, you got to hear me out on this. Tacos, you sound like the whitest guy in the world right now. Listen, they're versatile. Any walk of life can make them ground beef, steak, pork, chicken, it doesn't matter. It's all about where they come from. And one of the things that to me is such an important reason why they're like kind of my number two is that they've spread across the world, right? If you could say, if you ask anyone across the planet in whatever language you could pick, give me some top five Mexican things, you're probably going to hear taco because every walk of life associates a taco with Mexican culture. Well, I agree and love tacos. And tacos are amazing. You can't quit tacos, number two. Just wait until you hear my number one. Well, let's hear your number one. You go first, number one. Tequila. <laughs> da, 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 da. So just to recap, my number four of Mexican cuisine encompasses almost your entire top five. Three out of five. Three out of five. But I'm specific because they're all near and dear to my heart. I Cerveza, know it's a cheap uh, Mexican taco, cuisine. Taco. Cheap. Tequila. So. I mean, I can't argue. I think we're drinking uh, tequila's seltzers right as we speak. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of tequila seltzers. I'm a big fan of tequila. I like a good margarita. I didn't want to say just a margarita because I think that the tequila is not only, you know, admired in a margarita, but it can also play its depths to multiple other things. It's a We're good drinking song seltzers. too. It's a great song. Da, 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 da. Tequila. And, you know, it's just a great pick. What's your number one? My number one, I went like super serious. I love history. I love ancient history. Chichen Itza, the ancient Mayan pyramid. One of the wonders. Ruins pyramid. I ruins like pyramid. One of the wonders of the world. Uh, still to this day, it's one of the most visited places. I think somebody recently, an American woman, got arrested for like running to the top. 
That was one of the uh, not running to the top. Um, visiting Chichen Itza was one of the excursions we could have gone on in, in our cruise that we went on a few years back. I mean, it's just, it's a wonder of the world. And it's, I think, I want to say it's close to the same latitude, longitude, or like latitude as uh, the pyramids in Egypt, which has always got people Yeah, there's, some, there's something weird with like the coordinates of how all these these old pyramids were like on the 36th parallel or something like that. But it's so cool. And like, you even wonder back then, because like, we haven't made anything like that recently. How did they do that? It's very cool. I love ancient history. So that's my number one Mexican thing. I think a lot of people maybe not, don't associate it with Mexico. They don't know where it's at, but it is in Mexico. Ancient Mayan ruins. I love it. Nice. So listen, I guess that is going to wrap up the top five for this week. Top five Mexican things. I want you to comment below whatever your either top team who won, either me or Christian, or your top Mexican thing. Let us know where we left off. All right, so let's move on to our preview of this weekend's UFC card. Noche UFC. Uh, this is in honor of Mexican Independence Day. It is in Las Vegas, but there's a lot of there's a Mexican presence on the card, a lot of Mexican fighters. So let's get started with the first fight we're going to cover. It's the only prelim fight we're going to cover here, and it's Roman Kopilov, the Russian, taking on Josh Fremd. Kopilov comes in three and two, three straight wins after an 0 two start. Frim started 0 two, he's won two in a row. So both guys kind of figuring out, figuring the UFC out. How do you see this one going, Alex? Honestly, I think this one, uh, Josh Frimd is going to use his size to his advantage. You know, he's a big guy. I think he's like six four inch. Uh, he's six four compared to six foot. Right. I was going to say a six four guy, big guy. I think he has eighty inch reach. It's you know one of the biggest in the in the UFC right now, at least in the middleweight division. Um, and that's going to be at least a four inch reach advantage for him as well. Taking on the striker Roman Kopilov, he has ten KOs. So I think. One of the things... 10 out of 11 wins. 10 out of 11. That's right. crazy. Yeah. He only Over has one, 90%. one decision win. So he was obviously going to knock that guy... Going to try to knock that guy out. He just, you know, didn't get it. I think Josh Frim uses his size to his advantage, keeping Kapalov at bay. At bay. Um, winning the fight. Honestly, he missed weight his last time out. I think the turnaround shortly... Or the short turnaround, I guess I should say is going to lead to a better camp for him, probably a little better nutrition stance because that's what he promised his last, you know, after his last victory. And I think we're going to see a polished, well-placed Josh Fremd out here this Saturday. What do you think? Yeah, I think Fremd gets the dub too. I'm, he's my pick for the night. Both guys coming off relatively short notice. Kapilov fought July 29th. Uh, Frim fought August 12th. So not the typical camp length, no break for them. So both guys... Uh, getting after it again. Uh, I have Fremd winning, as I said. I'm surprised that this, the the bookies and everything, they have this fight, I think, minus 350 for Kopilov, plus 280 for Fremd. I think it's a much closer fight. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, right? It is crazy. I think it's a much closer fight. Not for that reason, but that's just something to keep in mind. I'm taking Josh Frank. All right, the next fight kicking off the main card at UFC Noche. We're going to be looking at the featherweight division. 
Fernando Padilla fighting Kyle the Monster Nelson. Padilla, obviously the Mexican in the car on the in the fight. Now you're learning. Uh, Padilla has a record of 15 and four, five KO wins, eight submission wins, two decision wins, followed up by four decision losses. So he's never gotten finished. Right there, you go. Which is a good good thing to keep in mind. So that's gonna help me teach my eight year old how to do that math. Thank you for that in the morning. <clears throat> Kyle the Monster Nelson is 14 and five. Five KO wins, four submission wins, and five decision wins. He also has a draw on there that if I don't two say, fights ago. I know you're going to definitely yeah, point out Yeah, he's two, for four, me. and one in the UFC. Won his last fight, drew the one before that. So technically, on a two-fight, non-losing streak, something to keep in mind after a guy. He went on a, a run of losing a lot. Right. Uh, his losses are two KOs, one submission, two decisions So I total. think this is a case of a guy, the UFC, despite his two-fight, non-losing streak, Nelson hasn't really succeeded too much in the UFC, and they're putting it against the guy that they think he's one to know in the UFC. He's had three straight fin wins. He's exciting. They think this is a, a good test for him, and I see Padilla passing this test, especially for Mexican Independence Day. He's my pick for the fight. I, ha <clears throat> I have to agree with you there. Uh, Padilla won his UFC debut by KO. Whereas Yeah, how often do you see guys that are known for finishers coming to UFC in their first few fights or decisions? He came in and he KO'd the guy. Right. First round. I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, Nelson's most recent win is by beating Blake Builder by decision. I think kind of that big clash that, that we're looking for is about is about to happen here, where Padilla can either finish you on the feet, or he can take you down, get you on the ground, lock you in a submission. I agree. I think France, Fernando Padilla wins this fight. All right, so the next fight we're covering from Noche UFC, Daniel Zolhuber, Christos Gaigos. Zolhuber comes in. He's 13-1, and 1-1 in the UFC, winning his last fight. So his first career UFC fight was his first career UFC loss. His first career MMA loss was his first career UFC fight. Excuse me. I got all that mixed up. There you go. UFC, one and one. He lost one, his first one in the UFC. Never He's been finished. Won the most recent by decision in the UFC. Yeah, so two UFC fights, two decisions. There you go. Facing Christos Giagos. The vet, especially compared to Zolhuber. Fought everyone. Oliveira, Moise, Thiago Moises. Well, I guess Tarzuki not everybody. He's, he hasn't fought any of like the, the most recent... He hasn't fought everyone, but he's fought a lot of. Good, he has a, a bunch of good guys on his resume, even though he's lost to pretty much every lost good guy. Lost to faced. all of but those five guys. and four in the UFC, so nine fights. This is his tenth fight, so he's been in the UFC for a while. He knows it. Man, um, for this one, for me, I think this is a fight of. Well, not I think I know this is a fight of new versus old, rookie versus vet, but I think the new polished Chrome takes it here. I'm taking the vet. I I have. Giagos uh, as my pick. See, I, th I think Zell Huber's going to have what it takes. I think he's going to use that size to his advantage. and I think the experience plays the factor and is the determining factor. Well, I'm excited to see it even more now. Next fight we're going to cover is Ra Raul Rosas Jr., the young guy, 18 years old, taking on Terrence Terbear Mitchell. Rosa Jr., Youngest guy on the UFC roster. This is his third fight already. He's coming off his first career loss. So it's always interesting to see guys, how they can rebound and learn from a loss. Some guys can take that loss and kind of rebound. And rebound. Well, not just rebound, but like 
exponentially grow from it and kind of take the loss on their chin off. and grow like it's a good thing they needed grow. to grow some guys right. it devastates them so we'll see we'll see that especially a younger guy one of the things we did say to speaking about devastating losses is me and you have been talking on honestly every raw rosa's fight so all three um if you lose to him you have to retire He's 18. If you I lose agree. To a, I do think this young last, man, his last loss, though, it will be humbling for him because he was getting a little too cocky for being an 18-year-old in, hey. in the UFC. I get it, but... Full nuts. I mean, what are you going to do? I get it, but I think it plays into the factor that he needed a loss. He needed to be humbled a little bit. Now, I'm Mitchell's sure also better. coming off a loss. Mitchell is. He's 0-1 in the UFC. He got knocked out in July 23rd. So it is kind of a quick turnaround for a knockout, less than two months. I'm always worried about coming back from a knockout, how you're going to respond, because it can really, like, screw up how exactly how you think one about knockout, fighting. One knockout can change your entire career, chin-wise and mentality-wise, as yeah. you said. Imagine taking, like, being scared of a feint after coming back from a knockout. I mean, that, that's a detrimental part to your game. Yeah, so we'll see how that uh, comes into play. He does have a 15-year age difference. 33 for Mitchell, so he's not old, but he's taking on the 18-year-old, as we said. Rosas Jr., he's my pick. He's a giant favorite. I have, I think yeah. he should be the favorite. I'm surprised. He, he's like minus 700. Dude, it, is there something that we don't know with the, like, the betting favorite, like the odds this weekend? Because they've, they've all been kind of weird, right? Not all of them, but like there's a few that I just completely don't agree with. That one stood out. I thought it would be more like a minus 300 favorite, but minus 700, that's what they have it at. I don't think uh, it's going to be a dominant win for Rosas because I think Mitchell is a seasoned vet, but I think he gets it done. I wholeheartedly agree there. Moving on to the co-main event, event we have Kevin Holland facing Jack Della Maddalena. This may be the most entertaining fight of the night. I have to agree with you there. I think this is going to be a big clash. Both fighters perfect through two each in 2023. Yeah, so two straight. Della Maddalena 5-0 in the UFC. Although, I will say his last performance, it wasn't a bad performance, you would say, but his least convincing. It was tough. He was supposed to fight the week prior. His fight got canceled. He didn't want to leave to go back to Australia, so he took the fight the next week in Vegas. I get what you're saying because he had to fight another like sh short notice opponent. The camp wasn't very convincing, but I don't know. He 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 did weigh ins and then he didn't get to fight. It's a lot. It I'll give him the lot. benefit of the doubt on that one. I think Kevin Holland. He's starting to turn up a moment in his career. Two straight wins, as you said. What's surprising? This is his 20th UFC fight. Yeah, that's a lot. He's 12, six and one in the UFC. Uh, we're seeing if he gets this win. Although Della Maddalena isn't a highly ranked guy, this would be a win that's a big name to UFC fans, and I think it, in that light, would move him up the ladder. Uh, and also, if Della Maddalena got the win, this would be a big win for him. So a lot riding on this fight. I think Kevin Holland, he's a guy that thrives in these stand and bangs, unless it's Stephen Thompson, right. which I don't think either guy's as skilled as Stephen Thompson in terms of strictly striking. I have Kevin Holland coming in. I have him... Probably be getting the knockout. I think it's a third-round knockout. I think Della Maddalena gets hit a little bit. He is strong, but Kevin Holland can take a punch as well. Kevin Holland, my pick. Okay, cool. Look, I think this is going to be a tough fight for both guys. Honestly, I'm going with Jack Della Maddalena here, and I think his biggest key to victory 
is going to be getting inside of Kevin Holland, who's the bigger fighter here. Kevin Holland has some reach, too. Doing all of that damage up close. He's long. And winning the fight, you know, by closing the, closing the distance, if you will. So we got two different opinions on that one. I always like when that happens. All right, so let's move on to the main event of the evening. The rematch, the rare title fight on a fight night. The rematch, Alexa Grasso, Valentina Shevchenko. Alexa Grasso shocked the world with the, uh, what was it, a neck crank win over uh, Shevchenko last time? Face crank. Face crank. Even more brutal. She got the dub, shocked the world. Pause. I got a question. Go ahead. Who said that a, <clears throat> in a girls' fight the uh, in a middle school a face crank would just do? Was it Dominic Reyes? No, Dominic Cruz. Dominic Cruz. That's who it was. Okay, Dominic Cruz. Continue. Yeah, because it was. We digress. But Grasso, an impressive performance. Shevchenko was almost untouchable. Although she, her fight before that was a little it looked like she was disinterested, almost untouchable before that. So we'll see how she responds. Is this going to be the motivation she needs to kind of reignite her career, go on another crazy run where she's finishing all these chicks? Uh, Grasso, can she break the Mexican curse? The last two guys to fight for the, the belt that are Mexican, Brandon Marino, Yair Rodriguez, lost. Can Grasso keep the belt, keep Mexico a champion? Unfortunately, I think Shevchenko gets her revenge. I got Shevchenko winning the fight. You know, and Volk, <clears throat> Volk is also the only same title holder since 2021. Yeah, I saw that too. So, um, I like, I like Shevchenko winning here. I think um, the fact that Grasso wins most of her fights by decision, and she got—I'm not saying like a lucky face crank submission or anything—but it was an an anomaly in how she typically does her fights. Um, I think Shevchenko comes back with a stronger game plan. We've seen how powerful she is. We've seen her impressive array of like types of finishes, eight KOs, seven submissions, eight decisions. Of course, I'm looking on my paper to read that off, but I still think Valentina gets the win here, gets the belt back at the fight night. All right, so... Let's talk about our bets and picks from last week, or I guess less our picks, more our bets from last week. I did pretty good, uh, and when I say pretty good, I got my first perfect week, 5-0 and on bets. Yeah, How'd you con- do? Congrats on that. Thank I did you, not go... It did not go too well for me. I went 1-2 UFC bets, 1-1 one one, uh, football bets, so 2-3 and three overall. Okay. It was so, a struggle for me. In the struggle, you, had, you said two wins. What were the two wins real quick? My two wins uh, for last week. Let me flip to my that page. That was a Colorado here. money line and Colorado a Tyson money Pedro line money line and Tyson Pedro money line. So those are my two wins. My two losses. The under three losses. Ol- three losses. Thank you, Alex. Sorry, I got to rub those in when I can. The under and Olberg Jung. This fight pissed me off. Yeah, you're right. It Olberg did. Olberg had chances. That's why I said earlier he was almost too patient. He had chances to end this fight earlier. As I said, he was patient. You as a, you can't objectively you can't fault him for it. But as a guy who had money on him, I'm kind of upset that he didn't go harder for the finish earlier. I like that because we also had a similar situation on a different fight where in in Tyson Pedro actually 
where he saw the impact of his damages and did what it took to get the and knockout. Got the, yeah, got right. The so you kind of—I mean—you had the right feeling. It just it didn't but play out. Credit to Olberg, he ended up getting the finish, the choke. Uh, my other loss, Lane Moneyline. I thought this was a 50-50 fight. Fair Tough. enough. Tafo knocked him out. I mean, there's nothing I could do there. Yeah. My last, my football bet I got wrong. I had Vikings minus six. They got beat at home by the Buccaneers. Man, That's it was a weird week one of football. I honestly. That's how the NFL always is week one, though. You never know how these teams are. Baker Mayfield came in and outplayed Kirk. Kind of did his much. Baker Mayfield He's slash gonna have like four Gardner Minshew. Four or five good games, and then they're going to lose 12. Right, exactly. And I don't even think all his four or five games are all going to be in a row. Oh, no, um, there's no way. So my five in a row, I did uh, Jamie Malarkey versus John McDessie over. Nice, Tyson, nice. Tyson Pedro money line. Nice. I uh, countered you with a Justin Taffa money line. Solid. I don't blame you. Colorado Buffaloes got that Deion Sanders minus two and a half. I like they that. They blew them out. That was crazy. 36 to 14, I believe. It was nuts. And then a uh, little San Francisco 49ers money line. Yes, they beat the shit out of the Steelers in Pittsburgh. Yeah, it, it was, like I said, another weird week for football. Uh, but just to, you know, kind of wrap that up, that brings us for the season to 25-16 and 16 for Christian on his bets. 61% total average. So, you know, not bad by any standpoint, but we're always hoping to do better. And for myself, 24-16-1 had that rematch for the Dustin Justin Taffa. I got revenge, at least, with the win. Yeah, you're one, no contest. You at least got a win. Right. You kind of settled it up. 24-16-1. Uh, I'm 58% given that. Just barely holding on right now. Half right. a game. All right, moving on to uh, kind of an overview of this week's picks. You know who you're picking this week? Kind of over, like, list them, if you will. So I have main event Shevchenko, Kevin Holland, Rosas Jr., Giagos, Padilla, and Fremd. Okay, nice. Um, so I think we're going to be countering on a few things here. I have Shevchenko like you, but I'm going to be picking Jack Della Maddalena in the co-main. Uh, I'll side with you on Rosas, but I think Zell Huber is actually going to beat Giagos. Um, Padilla, I agree, is going to win. And friend of the podcast, Josh Fremd, is going to win, I think, as well. I like it. I like it. Uh, last week... Christian, you went six and three, only getting Austin Lane wrong. Um, we both got Adesanya, Adesanya wrong. wrong. So, you know, I think us and both and, and most of America. Had, I also had uh, Jenkins winning, which is wrong. Yeah, a lot of people had Jenkins winning as well. Uh, six and three for you for the week. A solid performance. That's like 67%, I believe, still. Uh, moves you to a solid 53 and 30 for UFC picks across season one. Uh, that'll be spanning from like June 16th, something around there, until the end of December. Um, myself, I went seven and two. I got Jenkins wrong because he had that face plant elbow dislocation, and I also got Adesanya wrong. Moves me to 59 and 24. Pretty solid, 71% for me moving forward. Uh, we faced off again against Chat GPT. How'd they do this week, dude? ChatGPT went same, same as you, 6-3, 67%. That's what I expect out of ChatGPT. Uh, picked, you know, a few good ones, a few bad ones. Had Adesanya winning. It lost. You know, nothing. As you said before, it's, it's a 50-50 shot. I mean, they may win, they may not. It doesn't matter. 
Um, but moving on to this week's bets, what's your first bet of the week? So my first bet is uh, Giagos Moneyline plus 205. Giagos Moneyline. He's facing Zell Huber. So wait, that's actually one we're differing on in a pick. All right, so why do you think Giagos is going to beat Zell Huber here? What's your kind of advice to the audience for, you know, if anybody's going to side with you? I think it's a pretty even fight, so the the odds that are a little in favor of Zell Huber are a little shocking. Uh, Giagos has the UFC experience. Nine fights. This is his 10th UFC fight. He's taking on a guy coming in with just two previous fights. I think experience plays the factor in this fight. I like Giagos at plus 205. I, th- I think it's a good way to uh, get a good return on your investment. Okay, that's fair. Um, upon further review, I have a similar bet, not being uh, the same at all, just on the same fight. Uh, Daniel Zellhuber versus Christian Giagos over is what I think on this fight as well. Okay, okay. Um, my, I guess, second bet, but first when I listed it, and first on the fights we're covering, I actually picked uh, Josh Frimmed Moneyline. Uh, okay, plus friend of the podcast. Right, friend of the podcast. I think on this one, with the plus 240 odds, we talked about it before against Roman Kopolov. I just don't, I just don't agree with the Vegas here. Yeah, I think it should be closer as well. I, I don't say that Fremd could be the underdog, but maybe his missing weight and kind of gassed out performance against Pickett in his last fight kind of showed them a, a fake Josh Fremd, if you will. And, and I think Fremd's going to come out here and win this fight. I like that. So my next bet, actually my next two bets are on the same fight. I have two bets on the same fight. Didn't f- you do that last week? I did it a couple weeks ago, and I got both of them right. Nice. Okay. I just, I just got to be accountable. So this week, I'm going to have Moneyline, Kevin Holland. I like him in the fight. I like him with plus odds. He's plus 125, a close fight against Jack, Jack Della Maddalena. I also think Kevin Holland, I think this is going to be an under. I'm taking the under in this fight. I think Kevin Holland goes in and gets the finish. I think it's two guys are going to strike together. I think he finishes JDM. I think it's under what I'm assuming is probably going to be one and a half rounds. Kevin Holland has crazy punch power when he actually can punch guys. And it seems like Della Madalena JDM is going to stand there and they're going to trade punches. Yeah, I. While I'm picking Jack Della Madalena as my pick on this, I'm not. I don't have any bets on it. I agree that the way for Kevin Holland to win is going to be for punch power, and you know he's he's quite a much bigger guy than Jack Della Madalena. So it's like six three compared to five ten or something like that. Yeah, it's something similar. It's it's a good bit of reach advantage. It's a good matchup. I, I like I like that bet. You got anything for football kind of starting it off? Oh, so, wait, actually, sorry. But first... What's your third MMA bet? My third MMA bet is going to be the bullet reclaiming her title, Valentina Shevchenko, money line. I think she takes the belt back from Alexa Grasso. I think she kind of puts on not a dominant performance, but if she doesn't finish her... I think she makes it known that the last when she lost the belt, that was just a mistake on her part. Yeah, I like that pick. I'm not. I don't like the odds for Shevchenko minus one seventy. I don't like the return on investment. I think it's gonna be a little closer than that, but I don't mind the Shevchenko pick. What do you have for football bets? So, I'm still trying to get into watching college football at all. So I think that might actually be helping me in football because I've only gotten two college football picks wrong so far, which I know that's, you know, a few, but it's not a whole bunch. Uh, I'm taking Good Penn State. Good way to State. put it. 
taking Penn State covering 14 and a half over Illinois. I like that pick. I think Penn State's one of the best teams in the country, at least talent-wise. Illinois struggled lately. I could see it happening. Not a bad pick. Now, while I don't know a whole bunch, I did read an article that said Illinois was garbage. Yeah, they're struggling this year. Um, That's a better way to say it. They're struggling. They're not garbage. They're struggling. Penn State is one of the best teams in the country, more than likely, though. So that's not a bad pick. What you got for your first football bet? My first football, I'm sticking with college as well. And what you got to back it up? I'm taking Florida Gators plus seven. They're at home. They're taking on the Tennessee Volunteers. While Tennessee is ranked 11, Florida's not ranked. This is a rivalry game that notoriously is very close. And Florida has, if you look at the history of the rivalry, Florida has had the advantage. And I think that plays a factor. I think Florida comes in. They may not win the game, but plus seven is a lot to give uh, SEC team at home. Sounds like a whole touchdown to me. A whole touchdown. I'm taking Florida plus seven. Let's get it, boys. What you got for your... Do you have an NFL bet or another college bet? So my last bet of the week is going to be an NFL bet because I kind of... Me too. I got to lean where, where I know. I think the Packers come out and dominate the Falcons at home. In Atlanta? In Atlanta. I think the Packers win... My bet is Packers minus one and a half, winning by over, you know, more than two. So I'm saying they're going to win by at least a field goal. I actually think the Falcons are going to win that game, but it's not a bad pick. What you got is your football bet. Or is it college, NFL? What you got? I'm doing an NFL bet. My football bet is the Browns minus two. The Browns are going into Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh didn't look good. Cleveland looked good. Obviously, I think both teams. Pittsburgh's better than they looked. The Browns are not as good as they looked, but I think the Browns are good. And I think they come in, they win probably by a touchdown in Pittsburgh. Browns minus two. I mean, book it. the Bengals were minus two over the Browns last week and see how that worked out. It I like happens. it. That's a solid bet. Good new Deshaun Watson in, in since not Cincinnati, in Ohio. In Cleveland. Right. That's point, strong. Point to God. I'm not sure if God wants that shout out. I saw one today. It said that he was really, really going to be rooming with Hitler instead. Bunking with Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> Let us know in the comments if you like our bets, picks, or if you're fading any of them. We'd like to see you lose as much money as we do through this season. to finish everything up we're gonna wrap it up with some questions answers and some news blowing through a couple questions christian who would win a pack of wolves or a pack of lions so for the lions thing you can either go with the hunters or the kind of stay at homers the lionesses the hunter the hunt the stay at homer is going to be the lion what do you think that's a tough one because i figure out whatever i figure whatever i answer there's going to be an obvious answer that's the opposite of it. I'm going to look like a dumbass. I hate these, don't you? I guess I would take the cats. I think a big cat and a big dog, a big cat would win because they're just more agile. But they're also mean deliberately. They're mean, but the wolves, I, well, the cats work in tandems too. But the wolves love each other more than the cats do. Right. See, that's why I picked the pack thing because it's like in a group effort, they're going to work together. I think just because of the the love for each other, cats will work together, but they don't like each other. The wolves love each other. They'll do anything for each other. All right. So who wins? 
Dun, dun, dun. Give me my my boys. Give me the wolves. We riding deep in the snow. Ancestor to Bucky. Let's go. All right. Last little uh, goofy question. Who would win, if you will? This one is like a... Who would win a soft rhino, which is going to be a hippo, or a rhino? Because, like, I think of a rhino as, like, a hippo that ain't been in water for a long time. Well, it just depends where they're fighting. If it's in water, hippos all day. Right, but they're, they're built the same. They're both built like shit. But I feel like hippos have more, uh, like, side-to-side lateral movement than rhinos. What do rhinos not, like... Rhinos just run forward. They're a dinosaur. And they're, like, super vulnerable in the sides. Right, but they're the they're built. They're both both animals are built the same. I'm taking the hippos. All I don't day. honestly know. I just I looked at them. I was like, damn, they're they're pretty close to the same size. If you're a hippo, all you got to do is don't get hit by the horn. I mean, you got a big nose hole though. Yeah, just don't get hit by the horn, especially heads first, <laughs> face first. Could you imagine just getting speared by a dinosaur horn? No, I couldn't honestly, Alex. Yeah, I don't think I would want to. All right. So that's going to wrap up the couple questions I pulled together. That's, uh, that's all the brain power I was willing to put into it because we had week one of NFL, and I wanted to dedicate all of the news this week to week one of the crazy, weird football schedule we just saw from Aaron Rodgers tearing his Achilles or whatever you call it, in the first five plays of the game. You had it right, tearing his Achilles. Two, are the Cowboys that good? Is Joe Burrow the highest paid NFL quarterback for nothing? I don't think so. What do you think? What What do you want to talk about to wrap so this podcast up? My biggest thing is today? actually nothing out of those. The biggest thing I took from this week was the emergence of two quarterbacks who wanted to show themselves as the... We saw, we saw two quarterbacks that are elite quarterbacks struggle in Joe Burrow, Josh Allen... We also saw two quarterbacks that are considered on the fringe of elite perform, and that's Justin Herbert, Tua Tagovailoa, the Miami Dolphins quarterback. They dueled off against each other. Probably the most entertaining game of the week. Back and forth, both quarterbacks looked great. Tua threw for, I think, 500, almost 500 yards. Ridiculous game. Ridiculous. And I think it showed that those two guys are ready to make the next leap. Uh, so that's my, that was my biggest takeaway besides the Saints winning by one point, which I'll take. Right. I think uh, just, you know, you talked about your team for a split second. I'll do the same. Uh, Anthony Richardson, I think he performed well his first game out there with the Colts. Can't be taking them hits, though. No, you definitely cannot be taking them hits. But a great performance. Wobbled late in the game. That is not good. The worst thing, honestly, you could hope for, and this is not a dig on Gardner Minshew, but the worst thing you could hope for is Gardner Minshew playtime in a game. If you're Anthony Richardson. Because it means you're not able to be out there. Um, outside of that, you know, for me, two big, big things in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers completely tore his Achilles. That's so sad. Monday Night Football. I was so excited for the Jets this year. Yeah, I think a lot of people were. Fan or not, they were interested to see what was going to happen. Um, but outside of that... I hope that's not it for him. I hope that wasn't the last time we ever see Aaron Rodgers. I think it very well could be, man. But I, I, I agree. I don't want it to be. I was always a big fan. I am a big fan of Aaron Rodgers. But the last game I want to talk about is the 49ers. Man, they went in and they beat the 
hell out of the Steelers they look at good. home. Brock Purdy looked like he was not a fluke from last year. He is that dude. He's that dude. Ayuk with that two team. touchdowns. Debo Samuels being versatile as ever. Christian McCaffrey doing his business with a touchdown as well. That was probably the most impressive win of the, all week one. It, it was it was the most football like football game out of one team that we saw. As I a believe. guy that likes running the ball and like old school football. I like watching the 49ers play. Yeah, it was a really good game. Check us out next week when we recap Noche UFC. Take a look ahead to UFC Fight Night. Biz Ed, Game of Rock. The hundred folds in a chef's hat represents the ways to Thanks for listening to this episode of Split Decision. Check us out at splitdecision.blog to catch up on all our recent episodes, our merch, our picks, bets, and more.